text came from the Gospel according to John, the 13th chapter, and it was from the first through the 15th verses. Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the very end. During supper, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from supper <coughs> and laid aside his garments. And taking a towel, he girded himself. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. So he came to Simon Peter. He, being Simon, said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? answered and said to him, What I do you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, He who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. You are clean, but not all of you. For he knew the one who was betraying him. For this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, do you know what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. In our scripture today, we take a look at Jesus washing his disciples' feet. And as many of you know, as part of the tradition in the Christian church, we go around and sometimes we wash each other's feet. It therefore begs the question, what's the relevance of continuing such a tradition when we consider the differences between things that are superficial versus things that are essential. So today I want to take a page out of Jane Austen's novel. And in the context of today's scripture, I want to talk about humility and service. Therefore, I've titled this message, Pride and Prejudice. There is a word that many of us like to use or like to think about when we think about ourselves. And that word is humble. We all like people that we consider humble, and we sometimes like to think that we are humble. But the word humble in our Western tradition is often seen and understood in the context of subservience and diminution, meaning that you are humble if you become less than or if you are diminished in value in some way. As an example, we say things like, I come from humble means. To 
demonstrate that you grew up either poor or not so well off. More recently, President Trump propagated the idea that he came from humble means because his father only left him a million dollars. It's only now recently we've come to find out that his father really left him $413 million. But my point is he tried to assert that he too came from humble means. We also like to think of people that are humble as being soft-spoken, mild-mannered, or demure. And the more confident a person may appear is the less likely we are to consider them humble. We even go as far as to maybe label that person as arrogant or prideful. The dictionary, in fact, gives us three definitions for the word humble. Namely, number one, having or showing a modest or low estimate of one's own importance. The second definition it has is someone of, here it is, low social, administrative, or political rank. Humble, the dictionary also defines, thirdly, as someone lower in dignity or importance. These are the ways that the dictionary describes humble. But be that as it may, when we all think of a person being humble, we see it as a virtue we all like in the person or even think that we possess it, but truthfully, it's not necessarily something that requires our intentional aspirations. In other words, what I'm saying is we like to see people and we say they're humble. We like people to say, well, you know, you're humble. But we don't think that humility is something that we need to actually intentionally seek after. So I want to try to shift our ideas of how we understand what it means to be humble by giving you this definition that says, to be humble, hear me clearly, is to be willing to intentionally and deliberately regard others more highly than yourself for their benefit. This is my definition of humility. In other words, the willingness to suffer humiliation. That's how I have defined what it means to be humble. The willingness to suffer humiliation. And we add the caveat for the benefit of others. There are a few challenges we face why we're not willing to accept this definition from me. I can see you're like, mm, I don't know, Pastor. But here are six reasons I think we wouldn't like to own that definition. Number one, if I think I am better than you, then I won't be willing to suffer for you. Number two, if, if I don't care about you, then I won't be willing to suffer for you. How about number three? If I have a lot to lose, then I won't be willing to suffer for you. Number four, if I feel threatened, then I won't be willing to suffer for you. Number five, if it impacts my money, then I won't be willing to suffer for you. And finally, number six, if it brings me shame, then I won't be willing to suffer for you. You see, my definition of, hum of humble and humility says it's the willingness to suffer humiliation for the benefit of someone else. And notice, in all of these six standards that I've just named, they all invoke the same word. There is, they invoke this unwillingness to suffer. 
Therefore, if I am unwilling, whether I choose to suffer or not, if I am unwilling, then I am not humble. You see, many people suffer and they do things, but they do things for others and they don't do it willingly. So if you do something for others and you suffer for others unwillingly, then you are not humble. The unwillingness to suffer is where we draw the line between what it means to be humble. And there is not one person in this church, myself included, that, would, that can or does express true humility. The single reason why that statement is true, and you may not believe me, is simply because of something called pride. Pride is an inwardly directed emotion that actually carries two meanings that are antithetical to each other. There's a negative connotation that goes with pride, and it says it refers to foolishly and irrationally corrupt sense of one's personal value. In other words, you think you are more than you really are because of your status or your accomplishments. And it is used synonymously with the word my daughter uses, which is hubris. That's the negative connotation of pride. But pride also has another connotation, which is a little more positive, and that is it refers to a, a content sense of attachment towards one owns or another's choices or actions, or towards a whole group of people. In other words, when, when, when Alan Temple goes out and does something wonderful out there for the district, we all feel a sense of pride. That's the positive connotation. When we have our children or our daughters or our sons do something on stage or, or they perform well, we have a sense of pride. That's the positive connotation. But where I'm going today in this message and with this text is the negative connotation. I want to sit in that space. And so by going into that space, we are reminded that the Bible tells us that this thing called pride, the negative connotation of pride is the root of all evil. The sin of pride is often called the sin of sins. It was this sin pride, which transformed Lucifer, an anointed cherub of God, into Satan, the devil, the father of lies, the one for whom hell itself was created. You don't have to turn to it now, and I didn't put it on the screen, but I'll read it for you. Here's what the book of Ezekiel says, verse 28 and 11 through 17. If you're not familiar with it, this is what the book of Ezekiel says. Listen carefully. The word of the Lord came to me, Ezekiel, son of man, Take up a lament concerning the king of Tyre and say to him, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Hear this now. It's describing Lucifer, a cherub of God, one of God's primary and principal angels in his splendor. It says, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you. Carnelian, chrysolite, and emerald, topaz, onyx, and jasper, 
lapis lazuli, turquoise, and beryl. Your settings and mountings were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were prepared. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mountain of God. I expelled you, guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you before kings. The next slide will show you what I mean. He was beautiful. He was an anointed cherub of God. Then you move to the book of Isaiah, the 14th chapter, and the 12th through the 14th verses, and we find these words in that text. It says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. Hear this. I will be like the most high. This is what happened to Lucifer and how he ended up in the Garden of Eden. Pride had filled his heart to the point where he thought that he could be like God. It was also the sin of pride which showed up in the Garden of Eden when Eve ate of the forbidden fruit. In Genesis we read, Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God. There we go again. Like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took up its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out who was that serpent in the garden. None other than the devil himself, eager to share his condemnation with others. Pride had taken him from his place of honor to the place of dishonor. And you and I are warned to guard our hearts against pride, lest we fall into the same condemnation as the devil. And so it is with us. If you are preoccupied, church, with yourself, you just might be suffering from the sin of pride. So what does all this have to do with our text? I'm glad you asked. Let's look a careful look at how pride and humility plays in our interaction with Jesus and his disciples. Verse 3 says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from supper and laid aside his garments and taking a towel, he girded himself. Notice that Jesus knew his value and his worth. What I'm trying to explain to you, church, is Jesus is with his disciples in the upper room. Jesus 
knew that the time was coming when he was about to die. Jesus knew that all that the Father had given him was his. Jesus had no doubt that he was the king of glory. And it's in that moment the Bible tells us that Jesus gets up from reclining at the table and he takes off his garments and he girds himself and now he proceeds to want to wash his disciples' feet. We do not understand the magnitude of what that is, but it's important to begin the conversation by helping you understand that Jesus knew who he was and he intentionally and deliberately chose to humble himself. What I'm telling you is that my definition of humility says if you are not willing to humble yourself, to suffer for someone else's sake, to put yourself in a place of humiliation for someone else, you have no idea what it means to be humble. And so Jesus wants to explain and to express to his disciples what this really is all about. The text then tells us, carefully watch the text, it says, then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. So he came up to Simon Peter. Now what you have to understand is, up to this point, Jesus was washing the disciples' feet and drying their feet with a towel around him. If you can imagine the scene, Jesus has a basin with water and he's moving from disciple to disciple. They were all reclining at the table. Their feet were out and Jesus was moving disciple by disciple with this water and he's washing the dirty, corny feet of his disciples and he is wiping it. Can you see the image? You take the foot and you're washing off all the dirt and all the grime off his feet because most of them walked around in sandals. Which means if you're walking, and they ain't walking on paved streets, they're walking on dirt streets. Can you imagine the picture? Their feet are dirty, and Jesus is washing it with his hands. And the same towel that's around his waist, he's wiping it. Now, what you need to understand is he girded himself with the towel because he's moving the towel as he cleans foot from foot. This is Jesus, who, as I told you before, knew that the Bible says all things were given into his hands. He knows who he is. Jesus is wiping the disciples' feet. I'm painting the picture for you. So he gets now to Simon Peter. And Peter says, Lord, you bugging. You're going to wash my feet? You think you're going to wash my feet? Lord? Peter's question gives us a clue to the fact that what Jesus was doing to the disciples is not something that someone in Jesus' position is to do. Peter is saying, listen, these disciples, all 11 of them, they can accept this, but I cannot. I know who you are. And Jesus, this kind of work is not for you. It's like saying, pastor, you shouldn't be doing this kind of work. It's like saying, Mr. President, you, you, you can't be driving your own limo. You can't be doing your own thing. Peter is saying, I'm not deluded. And Jesus, I don't want you to wash my feet because I know who you are. Well, foot washing is generally something in that culture that only the servants and the slaves would do. As a matter of fact, so bad was foot washing that slaves, slaves did it. 
So if you are foot, if you're washing somebody's feet, everybody in society knows that you are the lowest dregs in the lemonade. You are the worst of the worst. You are absolutely nothing as far as the society is concerned. I don't know if you have ever experienced what it's like to be looked down by other people. I don't know if you've ever experienced what it's like to go into a situation or into a room and everybody seems to be about their business and you are somewhat cast aside. I don't know, but, but people of color, be very clear. We know what it's like to walk through the back door because we weren't allowed to walk through the front door. We know what it's like to, 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 to can't drink at this fountain because this one is for whites only. We know what it's like to be in a restaurant. Let's not make it even Jim Crow. Let's bring it down to our street. We know what it's like to be driving down the street and you get pulled over because it happened to me because I fit a profile. I know what that's like. I've experienced it. We know what it's like to, to you walk in an elevator and people start to clutch their bags a little tighter. We know what it's like the minute that you walk out into the street and people, you don't even, they don't even need to say anything to you. You already know what they're thinking simply because of the color of your skin. What I'm saying is as bad as that may feel to you, that's how foot washers feel. Say, so what do you want to be when you grow up? A foot washer. No. But the point I'm making is many of us understand what it's like to be marginalized, to be cast out. Maybe you don't have the level of education that other people have, so people disrespect you. Maybe, maybe, maybe you're not, maybe you're the darkest one in your family, and your own family disrespects you. Maybe you're the lightest one in your family, and everyone's questioning your birth. Whatever the challenge or the issue may be, what I'm saying to you, church, is that you understand what it's like to be a foot washer. But it's a completely different thing when you, thinking that you are more than a foot washer, choose to be one. See what I'm talking about? You could be permitted to walk through the courts of glory as a president of a company, but then you intentionally decide, you know, the banquet is set for all of my dignified guests, but I'm choosing to eat with the servants. You're tracking with me. When you in your glory self choose to humiliate yourself for the benefit of other people. I'm telling you, you're in line with God's grace. So Peter says, listen, what you got to understand is everyone who receives foot washing always is the social superior to the one who's doing the so when, the, so when, so when, so when, 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 when Peter says, look, nah, you ain't gonna wash my feet. Peter is really saying to Jesus, I am lower than you. I shouldn't be washing your feet. You shouldn't be washing my feet. But Jesus said to him, what I do now, you do not realize. But you will understand it later on. Then Peter said to him, never. I don't care what I'm going to understand. I'm telling you, Jesus, never. You will not wash me. Jesus, never. Never. Peter was objecting to what Jesus was trying to do because Peter saw, all he saw was the foot washing, the form, the superficial. He didn't see the substance, the meaning, the essential. 
He was not able to appreciate the difference between what's superficial as opposed to what is essential. So, so by Peter saying, don't wash my feet, all Peter is thinking about is clean foot. Meanwhile, Jesus is focused on clean hearts. Now, everyone reads these texts and they gloss over them quickly. You hear me say that all the time, right? Right, Crystal? I say it all the time, right? But there is something deeper in the text. When Jesus was washing the disciples' feet, what he was really doing, the essential substance of what Jesus was doing, was he was extending the authority of priesthood on the disciples much in the same way that a bishop lays hands on me. He was imparting the priesthood upon his disciples. <laughs> you, you, you see, how do I know this to be true, Pastor? That's a big one. How do I know? Hear what I'm saying to you. In other words, as Jesus was washing his disciples' feet, he was laying hands on them, and he was anointing and appointing them to be priests of God. So as he's doing this, so when Peter says, no, you ain't going to wash my feet, you ain't going to wash my feet. Here's what I'm saying. Jesus then said to him, listen, the text is clear. Jesus says, Peter, if I do not wash your feet, you have no part of me. Did you see that? You have no part of me. In other words, if I don't anoint you, you cannot do the work of ministry. If I don't do this to you, you are not authorized to speak in my name. If I don't wash your feet, you cannot cast out demons. If I don't wash your feet, you cannot heal the brokenhearted. You cannot heal the sick. And if I don't wash your feet, Peter, you have no part of me and you cannot preach my gospel. Jesus was anointing his disciples as he was Washing their feet. So it's at that point when Peter understood that Peter says, really? Well, you know what, God? You know what, Jesus? You may wash my head, my hand, my back, my foot. Listen, anything you want. Here we go, Jesus. All of it. <laughs> the point I'm making, the picture I want you to see is that we may think that we don't need the anointing of God to do God's work. But you do. And when you have the anointing to do God's work and you understand what God's anointing upon you can do for the kingdom of God, you will not be satisfied with just your foot being washed. You want all of it. And that has always been my prayer. Lord, I don't just want this. I want all of what you have for me in your kingdom. Which is why my prayer for this church is that God gives you everything that you want. God, don't just wash my feet. Wash my hands, my body, my head. Wash all of me, Jesus. All of me. That when I go out to serve your people, I'm doing it in a way that says I am authorized, I am anointed, and I am appointed to serve in this glorious ministry. It is a place of saying, Peter was now saying, I understand that I don't have everything I need to serve your people. Are you tracking with me? Jesus said to him, 
Okay, Peter, I get it. You want me to give you all the anointing now? Because that was Peter. But Jesus said to him, He who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who the one was that was going to betray him. And for this reason is why he said, not all of you are clean. To be clean means to be saved. And what Jesus is saying, once I clean you, you're clean. All of you. You're saved. You are fine. But, but, Jesus then goes on to say, as I've done this to you, do it also to your brother and your sister. In other words, even though you are clean, and Jesus cleaned you, you're going to walk to the places that Jesus sends you. You're going to do the work of ministry that Jesus called you. And as you are doing the work of ministry, you're going to get dirty. Your feet. Your feet is going to get dirty as you do the work of ministry. But your body is clean. But your feet get dirty. And so for everyone who serves in ministry, when I see When my feet gets dirty, you wash my feet. And as often as we do this, we keep the body of Christ, the entire body of Christ, clean. Are you, are you understanding what I'm saying? This is what it is. When a person is washed of their sin, particularly in baptism, Christ has made you clean. But your feet as part of the body carries the load of the work that we do in ministry day after day. And it symbolically represents how we do God's work. And brothers and sisters, this is a dirty business. People are broken. People are hurting. And it takes a lot to get down into the pit with people and their stuff. And many of us don't want to do it. Many of us don't want to get right down into the root of what issues are. But I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, if we can wash each other's feet intentionally and deliberately, then Jesus says, as I have done you to you, do that also. So if Jesus, knowing who he is, king of all glory, can wash our feet, why can't we wash each other's? Pride gets in the way. Jesus says, if I do not wash you, you have no part of me. You can try all that you want to live a holy and a righteous life. But I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, it would not be enough. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. This is the gospel, and my witness is true. But the text goes on further to say, So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, and this is the part I get, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you ought also to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should also do as I did to you. If I am the Lord and I washed your feet, if I am God and I washed your feet, if I am sovereign and I washed your feet, if I am the King of kings 
and I washed your feet. If I am Jehovah, creator of all things seen and unseen, and I washed your feet. If I am Elohim, Adonai, Yahweh, and I washed your feet. If I am omniscient, omnipresent, immutable, and I washed your feet, surely you can help someone in need. Surely you can support your church. Surely you can think less of yourself and more of others. This is the willingness and intentional and deliberate regard for others more highly than yourself that I am talking about for their benefit. To suffer humiliation. How many of you here would be willing to suffer humiliation for somebody sitting next to you? I mean, to, I'm willing to be ridiculed. I'm willing to be disrespected. I'm willing to be misunderstood. I'm willing to be taken for granted. I'm willing to do all of that for the benefit of the person sitting next to you, whether they deserved it or not. That is the call to the ministry. And that's what Jesus did for every single one of us when he stood before the Sanhedrin and they boxed him and they slapped him and they spat on him and they kicked him and they punched him and they bruised him and they crucified him. They hung him. They tied him. They spierced him. They speared him. They did all those things. He said, I am suffering the humiliation for a people who the very same people that I was healing, their brothers and their sisters and their mothers and their grandmothers, those same ones who are shouting, crucify him. That's why I say no person in here has that kind of humility. For unless we are willing to suffer the humiliation that will come upon us to defend someone else, we are not ready for the kingdom of God. So if you want to impress God, if that is something you think you want God to be pleased with your service as a reasonable sacrifice, then I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, humility is what impresses God, not the proud, not the arrogant, not the ones who think that they've got it all, not the ones who put themselves on the throne of grace. I'm telling you that humble yourself before a holy God and watch God exalt and elevate you. Finally, the Apostle Paul says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort in his love, if any common sharing in his spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. That's what the Apostle Paul says. And he said, and he went on further, listen church, I want you to get this. In your relationships with one another, mother, brother, sister, cousin, uncle, aunt, pastor, steward, whatever, have the same mind as Christ Jesus. Who? 
being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So my brothers and my sisters, Jesus asked the disciples the question, and I ask you the question today. He said, do you know what I have done for you? If you do, then you ought also wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. I want to live a life pleasing to God. I want everyone in this church to understand what it means to be a servant leader. I have been ridiculed, and I don't care. I don't care. I am not in this pulpit because I am better than you, or I know more than you. I'm in this pulpit because I'm here to serve you. That's it. I have no problem washing your feet. But do understand that I'm not washing your feet because you are worthy of me washing your feet. I'm washing your feet because I was unworthy for God to wash mine. And there's a difference in the way that we understand this work of ministry. It is a form of service that says I may not get what I want. It may not look the way I like it, but I understand that because I am undeserving what God has done for me, the least I can do for you is to make myself available to you. If you can find that in your heart to serve that way, to be what? Willing to humiliate yourself for someone else, then my brothers and sisters, you will, not you might, you will be exalted not by the church, not by me, but by the king of kings. And he says, as you do it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. So church, again, a sobering message. But one that I want you to understand the nature of what God has called us to in this ministry. For I'm telling you right now, as God is my witness, and I feel the presence of the spirit. I will not be cast out from before him because I was too proud thinking that I have all that it takes. I will not go the way of Satan. I will not. And there is nothing that God can ask of me to do in service to his people that I am unwilling to perform. So search your hearts, church. 
and see if what you offer to God is your reasonable sacrifice. Amen? Amen. May God richly bless you, my beloved.